I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably lost the words. Welcome to another edition of the Lost Words podcast. I'm joined as ever by Jason Daniels. Jason, hello. Uh, good evening, Tom. How are you? I, I'm well. I've got a slightly, uh, apparently it's the Wembley flu. I don't know how real that is, but uh, my voice is struggling. And if you'd have just seen the, uh, the Mayo Media thing that I just did, then I looked an absolute state on camera. But we don't have to have that problem on this, so that's good. And we're also joined by Matt Cooper. Matt, hello. Hello, how are you doing? Yeah, really well, thank you, Matt. We always draft you in for these these ladies events and our and our favourites on the schedule and uh, I think the Scandinavian mix is another good time to get you on so we're looking forward to your uh, viewpoints on on that. Excellent stuff. Yeah, I really enjoyed it uh, last year. Part, I mean, partly, if I'm really honest, I, I liked the course. Um, I, I think it was the second of these sort of Heathlandy things, a bit like the Dutch Open the other week. Um, a couple of modern architects done a good job on that sort of golf and it, it did a trick. So it's a bit disappointing that they're not going to the same place this year, but adds to the to the conundrum it does yeah it certainly gives us more to work out is there anything any thoughts that you had on this golf course i mean from everything i've kind of read it is more is shorter tree lined but there is actually it's not that it's not a million miles away from the coast as well so that could be a factor if you know if if the wind does get up and weather does get up despite the 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 protection of the trees yeah i'm sure i'm sure i've done what uh what um, many of your listeners and you guys have done um took some photographs and the and the website, I, ha- I have been rather tickled by the website in that there's a, lo- there's a lovely line in it um, in which they say, uh, you have to bear with me a second, they, they, they go on about the, the lovely smell of the place. I love this line. It says, uh, it says, not only is it peaceful and pleasant on the course, but it smells good too. A combination of pine and the sea. Sounds wow. like, a, a, yeah, it sounds like a shampoo you'd get from yeah, uh, Bargains or something. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, that's tickled. That's tickled my fancy. Um, yeah, and yeah, I think it looks like quite a nice, quite a nice track. Uh, I, I do have, I, I do have one person in mind uh, off the back of the fact that it looks quite tight and possibly a bit blustery. But um, it's a bit of, it's a bit of guesswork, I'll admit. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It's, it's hard to. I think it's just hard because we want. A female to win it, I think it's probably that would be really nice if we got a, a ladies winner because it would be so historic. It'd be the best week to do it in terms of what we've got going on in, in the other tours and, and things like that. So I think that element is it. But then last year we only got two Jason inside the top ten and no one again until the 18th. Uh, we had Alison Houston, uh, Alice Houston in third, and um, Olivia Cohen in tenth, who's coming back from injury this week. So it's it's hard to know how to handicap it from that respect. Yeah, I think Headwall was leading, wasn't she, or, or in the final? Yeah. You wasn't she going into final day and then absolutely collapsed on on payday? Uh, just quickly, uh, another one of my favourite facts about this area, <laughs> uh, as we were all talking about this, is I believe that one of the local hotels is part owned by the Roxette guitarist. Brilliant. There we are. There we are. So that's a reference that's gone over my head. So um, what yeah. Roxette? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is is that is that an age thing or is it? It's an age thing. It's very much an age thing. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to be so uh, crude, but. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what were your thoughts on this last year, Jason? What, how do you think the event went? What you know, do you think there's a difference in how that it will approach it this year in terms of will we see more ladies higher up in the leaderboard? Can they close the gap based on a shorter golf course? I know that the the distance difference between the tees is about 900 yards, which was I think similar to last year anyway. Yes, yeah, it was last year. I think yeah. 
I, I thought it was great. Again, I thought it was great last year, but it was great because we had we had a potential, um, you know, lady winner yeah. in the field. And we, I don't think any, went, any of us went into final day thinking it could happen. Yeah. And Houston obviously came from behind. Um, but, it, it, you know, there was potential. And I think that would make this. I, I think it's really badly, you know, attended, to be honest with you. Um, uh, whatever, for whatever reason that Matt might know better than me, um, I think it is. I think the attendance here is shocking. I, I had a few down here that I thought, um, you know, not necessarily stars, but would liven it up that were playing really, really well, and they're not. They're not appearing at all. So on my list of about twelve people, I think, um, um, I think only three appear. So that's disappointing. But yeah, I think if we can have a, a women's ladies winner, then um, yeah, either either you know the two that I like or uh, Meg McLaren, obviously friend of the podcast, then it'll be great. We'll see yeah. what happens. It's 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 a big thing, isn't it? It's a huge thing. You know, the men are, are doing their thing and uh, they'll go around. But I'd imagine if you're a, you know an LET player and you're in contention on the final day and you've got, I mean, obviously Otegi's not playing or whatever. You know, it, it's that it's that bad. But it's if it's Otegi playing. Um, <laughs> if it's if it's you know Alex Norrin in the final group and you're, you know, you're sitting there in the final group or one behind, then it's a huge huge thing. And and whether they can get it over the line. It'd be brilliant to see, and it'd be great for, for European golf. And I, I love these events, and I think there should be more. Um, but, you know, I, uh... Matt, do you think for a step forward, we, we need to get the very best of the LPGA and the PGA players to do something like this as well? Do you think to get to the next state, you know, step of equality in golf, that has to happen? Because I think it's very easy for American listeners or, or viewers to, to skip over this week, and especially a week before the US Open as well. Um, yeah, I think that would I think that would help. Um, but I'm a, a, a little a, a little element of me also sort of is also like a bit. I like these things, but I'm also like a bit. Um, I'm sort of a bit dubious about them because I, I I sort of. I partly think that the women's goal should just stand on its its own feet. Yeah. And sometimes there's they're, they're so desperate to to try and help out, they come up with something that doesn't quite work, and, and that's what leads to the the men's field being a bit a bit more rotten. I, I still think probably that the Vic Open at 13th Beach seems to have got it about right. Um, and what that what they've done so brilliantly is that by bringing the women's event into it. They've actually turned what was a struggling men's event into one that's actually got quite a lot more money than it used to have. So the men can actually look at that and go, well, actually, it's not just that it's equal pay, but this event was a bit naff 10 years ago. And now it's actually got quite a lot of money involved in it. Yeah, I, so, I agree. Yeah, yeah that, that's like a sort of subtle difference to the one where it, it's, it's like trying to do good. Um, those sort of things. It's almost like it's slightly inbuilt. Um, problem with with those things, um, but so I don't just so I almost feel like the the two things going together. I I I think a PJ and LPJ event going along at the same time would be quite good, but I also think there'd be a little bit of resistance to that. Um, um, so I I think long term it's quite difficult. I don't I what don't about, really know what the answer is to be honest. What about a live and a live women's? <laughs> yeah, yes, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? But I I think <laughs> I think it's. I think, like you say, Matt, I think we've mentioned this show somewhere, we spoke to Megan as well, like, it's almost like an easy win. Like, okay, well, let's 
let's make a mixed event and this makes us look really good and you've got Henry Stenzenetic and Sorensen doing it that you know that that they're the two legends of the game that they can kind of easily put together rather than raising the purses of the women's game and getting that on equal footing that way Jason I think that was the kind of conversation we had whereas this is this is great but it kind of covers the cracks of the problems that we've got elsewhere yeah that is yeah that is what we said on the interview it's um I'm not, I'm not close enough to, to the organisation to, to see, no. but there's got to be... Look, if we're talking about DP World Tour needing a boost, then, yeah. you know, do you know what I mean? But, you know, like like us all, I, I, this is the way to the Symmetra Tour, whatever it's called now. Um, this is the way through to the Symmetra or Epson Tour, whatever it's called, and then onto, onto the LPGA, just like, unfortunately, the DP is now. It's, it's purely a... Um, Feed at all. A route, a route through, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's, it's lost its... Um, yeah, it's just lost its its status, really. Um, there we are. You know. um, but then you you know you can so you know we see it all the time when there's reports both on on um, you know low grade uh, women and men's tournaments. People fight back and go <laughs> play better, which is is obviously you know um, we'll leave that aside. But at the end of the day, you know the best players, the best players or, or those that are considered the best players constantly will will get that chance and. You know, look, there's there's a lot of these in this field this week. I mean, an awful lot in Canada as well, um, down the bottom, uh, excluding those that have obviously, you know, recently qualified or got in the invites as, as sort of amateurs or anything. But really, you know, um, yeah, it's not really worth turning up, is it? Unfortunately. No, I think that there is some there is some lack of depth very quickly after the, the top of the market. But let's, let's go into it then. Um, it starts off with Alex Noren at ten to one, which, like last week with Tommy Fleetwood, we've got a, a huge favourite um, because of the, the drop from the PGA Tour where he's been playing quite well. And then we've got Eduardo Molinari and Alexander Bjork at twenty two to one. Maya Stark and Lynn Grant at twenty five and twenty eight to one, representing the first two uh, female players. And let's stop there for a moment. Um, Matt and come to you. Maya Stark is is an absolute revelation, really. You know, you look at her, you know, her career trajectory so far. She's contended at two U.S. Opens as an amateur already. And I was just interested when I was reading about her that she was on that Swedish team that won three straight European Ladies Team Championships, which I thought was you know pretty impressive. And they came second in the fourth one as well. She won her second start at college. She won the Arnold Palmer Cup. She finished tied 13th for the first US Open and tied 16th for the second one. Um, very quickly won on the LET Access Series after turning pro. I think that might have been her second start, Matt, if, if I'm right in thinking. Um, and then she, in September, beat Lynn Grant to win the Creekhouse Ladies Open. Um, you know, I think she's had a very, very quick rise on the European Tour and will probably, like, like the rest of them, have a site set on the LPGA. Uh, yeah, what uh, what interests me is she's got. Um, she went to the states, and she very quickly thought that the coach there was a bit too dog eat dog and didn't really suit her. So she more or less, from what I gather, she more or less ignored him for the for, for the year <laughs> and just listened to her coach back home in Sweden, who said to her, "Just just be your own person." And she's quite a laid back person and she's got plenty of natural drive she, i think she's a um uh, when she when she won she bought herself a violin because she's quite a musician so um you know she's it's not like she's gonna uh, she wouldn't be able to afford to go and buy a car i wouldn't have thought but uh, she goes and buys herself quite an interesting interesting um prize but i i think that the way in which she was able to assess 
that college wasn't. I mean, she even said that she didn't particularly enjoy college. It wasn't a good fit for her. Yeah. And the fact that she she could she could acknowledge that, still play well within it. I think those things sort of hint at somebody who's got a degree of um, uh, self assurance, and that's the sort of thing that will hold her in good stead going forward. And like you said, she had a fantastic start, so she's probably not going to be at this level for a for, for a long time. Um, and and not probably going to play in Sweden all that often, so she might want to make the most of it this week. Yeah, and also I think she finished runner-up in the mixed stableford event in Thailand during the year. She actually only finished behind Schwan yeah. Kim that won the event. So, you know, low lady there, and you know, you know, second place finisher. I think she actually won the stroke play part of that event as well. So, really, really impressive rise. The only thing I sort of thought, Matt, and I'll come to you as well, Jason, about this as well. It, it, it was like we, we kind of all target well, of all of us, but speaking for myself, looked at the best players in in the women's market and tried to put them up against uh, the men's and almost felt like the best players didn't finish that high up the leaderboard and like, like we sort of alluded to earlier, Alice Houston finished high up because the course suited and, and Olivia Cohen was there as well. It, it's almost like you could take advantage of some of the longer shots and try and find some place money that way as opposed to trying to pin your hopes to the very best ladies golfers I'd actually I'm, I'm slightly surprised that uh, Megan McLaren is as, as big as she is compared, mm. compared to, to some of the players that are a bit low down I think um, the fact that she the potential for having the bit between the teeth I think that also is a potential pressure for her um, uh, but if she uh, there'd be plenty of people sniping on, on Twitter and everything but I actually just think this course might suit her she plays a lot of golf at Woburn um, she's she's been pretty dominant when she's played um, that Bonville course in Australia. That um, at, at least from photographs I've seen, it's, it's it's similar in that it's tight and it's got you're hitting into into greens that are placed over creeks and just in corners by the trees. So um, um, Megan's won twice there. So um, I think um, yeah, there's um, there's a lot to like about her chances uh, yeah. this week. And I just thought she was just a slightly bigger price than I expected. Yeah, just on top of that, she obviously lost in the playoff last week. She's already won the Women's Open, uh, the Women's Classic earlier in the year as well. 13th for the Jabra Ladies Open and, and played reasonably solid in both of the mixed uh, events earlier on in the year as well. So she seems to be playing some really solid stuff. She's rededicated herself to the LET after uh, you know a tough setting in America, as we've sort of discussed on that podcast. But Jason, any sort of thoughts on the, the top of the ladies market? Um, my my thought, if you're going to do that, is uh, I, I, not denying. I think they could beat an awful lot of this field, but Skybet are doing um, betting on the women's on, on their own. Um, they're betting a quarter first five. Stark is eight to one if you want to go that way. Okay. I mean, when you consider that, uh, I don't know if Matt would agree. I mean, you can cross out sixty percent of this field, can't you? Yeah. Um, that's pretty much. If you if you like that sort of thing, that's pretty much gimme money. Um, you know, um, that, that's my thought. I mean, yeah, I mean, look, you know, they, they, they are have there are several up there, and I agree. Um, obviously, Meg um, is very happy with the game. Stark, Grant, you know, they're um, they could be different gear. There's a couple of others there that, that I like. I like Strom, and I like oh, I won't say it properly. Anna Palais. Um I like her. I think she's totally unexposed. Um, interestingly. You know, she's she's obviously here with um, Marcus Kinnell. They both won gold in 2014 at the Youth Olympics. 
Um, and she's gone on from there. I mean, she's only been a professional, I think, for 11 months. Um, she's doing, you know, she's doing extremely well. She won a sectional of the 2021 US uh, Women's Open. Um, and she beat uh, my other fancy, Strom, by six shots in Madrid. Um, I think she's got something there, totally unexposed. Like, you know, an awful lot of these, when you go start going down, even at the 40, 50 at one mark, are totally exposed. And I think if they get in the mix with the men's, they know their own limits to their ability, no matter how much self-confidence they've got. Whereas, as Matt says, you go up to the, the younger ones at the top that have some decent form recently, they're, 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 not, they're not scared of it at all. So um, I think you could probably pick five or six out of here and, and if you wanted to, smash them up. And, uh, and, and I think you'll get decent returns on the women's only thing. But. Yeah, I, I think Jason's right. And I think that, I think that business of... I think there's quite an intimidatory factor that becomes a problem if if they get in the mix on the last day. It's quite interesting. I was at the Sunningdale Foursomes in March, and in in many ways a very a very different situation. But there were two elite uh, uh, England golf uh, women golfers playing together. A couple of I think they're sixteen, seventeen. Um, and they were fortunate in that they both got four shots, so they were getting a lot of shots over over men. But I watched them play James Heath and Adam G, and also win the final. And what was really what was really striking was, I was thinking to myself, you know, even with eight shots over these guys, I could imagine watching a couple of LET players actually struggling with the knowledge that they've got such a big advantage. And, and they wouldn't know quite how to, to deal with it. Whereas when I watched these two, I was so amazed at their ruthlessness. So they would do things like, it was very rare they got into trouble, but if they did get into trouble, they would say to themselves, uh, let's not go for the glory shot, because that's what I would imagine an awful lot of young golfers would do, and go, well, we've got a shot, let's go for a glory shot for the green. They said, let's chop it out, put it on the green, and make them make birdie. And it was like, it was so ruthless, it was one of the most enjoyable things I've ever watched. Because they just they didn't care that they were taking advantage of, of the fact that it, they they got a bit of a good draw with the with the handicap, uh, and they absolutely tore the entire tournament up. Lottie Wode and, and Rachel Gawley there called, and I, on a, Wode was just got quite a lot of confidence. Gawley has got one had one of the best distance controls I've seen uh, from a European player. Uh, she reminded me of like a, a Cambrian player with short hands. I'm quite excited to see what what happens with that. I mean, obviously at that at such a young age, there's a lot that can go wrong. But um, but it 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 really made me think about how often I've unfortunately I've seen LET players who I think would be intimidated by uh, being in the sort of situation that could happen this weekend. Which is why I think Jason's theory about going with the the Skybet women's own uh, women only is quite a smart move. Incidentally, Megan's 22 to one in that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yes, that is really impressive. I, I do agree with it. I think, I think it's it's not even so much the worry of the, of the player. It's and you mentioned Matt that, that you know almost having to deal with the fact you've got such a big lead and a handicap and maybe have to deal with the fact you're going to be teeing off so much further down the fairway. No, it's, but it's also just like being the one lady that wins that wins it. I think that could be a, a oh, massive yeah, yeah. thing. Like that that would be absolutely huge and. It's interesting because I think someone like a, a Lynn Grant, who's obviously, you know, turned pro last year, very young, born in 1999. She's had two wins this year, two seconds already last year, and she's first, seventh, seventh, thirteen, and first in her kind of five, you know, starts in the LET. It's really, really impressive, and and I really liked um, 
Jason's call as well. Linnea Strom, I think she she looks really interesting. Third, second, and tenth um, in three starts. So it, it is interesting. I think it is the best way to play it is to separate them. Uh, it also gives you sort of clarity on. Um, I guess it maybe boosts the, the male prices in somewhat, and and kind of also gives you a chance to to give you clarity on the two separate fields. I guess um, is the way to look yeah. at it. Um, and there is there is one other player who I'd yeah. toss something in, and that's Pia Babnik. Yeah. Um, because she has actually had sex success against men. Yeah. Um, back in um, I'm so mixed up with all dates now because of um, <laughs> COVID 2020. So 2020, I think. So, I mean, there are only mini tour events in Slovenia, Slovakia, uh, and, and Czech Republic, but um, she took them out um, three or four times and, and had quite a bit of success. So, I mean, I, the, what value there is of that, I don't know. But I mean, she's been she's been in those sort of fields and wasn't intimidated. Um, and, and also so, just playing very well, Matt, as well, isn't she? I mean, thirty yeah, fifth yeah. in Saudi, third in Madrid, fifth in the Jabra Ladies, and then third at the first major this year at the Chevron Championship, forty. Fourth last week at the US Open. I don't know if that's a factor coming over from that, but she's only 18 years old, so I can't imagine sort of fatigue or anything's going to kick in. And what I kind of liked about her was I got kind of notes here that you know she won twice already on the LET last year when she would have been 17 coming on 18, and one of those wins was over Olivia Cohen, who was top 10 last year, and you know she's played it. She finished 57th last year. It wasn't you know anything special, and we talk about kind of Stark and Grant who both finished 18th in this last year, but. The fact that she's got that one out of the way and, and like you say, had that competition there, it is interesting to see how someone with that kind of youthful... Um, I don't know how to put it, but youthful kind of like surprise and, and no fear, I guess, uh, could could lead into that. But Jason, you were going to say something there? No, I was just going to say Olivia Cowan. I mean, you know, she was that, you know, get over the line with you. But anyway, <laughs> has, she, um, has, so... she, has she had a wrist problem, Matt? I think is that the issue she's been out with? I think I think she has had something along those lines, yeah. Um, yeah, she's it. Um, I think Jason's quite right. It's like she did, she banged on a lot of doors last season, uh, but yeah, she had a shocking time of it this this year. But that, I mean, she's gone out to the LPJ and struggled quite a bit. Sorry, just just quickly again, again, yeah, you mentioned James Heath earlier on, who um, <coughs> the fortune in inverted commas of you know following a while ago in the Chinese tour. Um, again, you know, you mentioned these names of, uh, again, you'll know that these players better, you know, proper quality amateur players, you know, and, and the difference between, you know, now not doing it and, and those that have come through, it's it's so minor, isn't it? I'm sure we've had this discussion before. Um, you know, if you'd have told me, you know, 12, 13 years ago that he, you know, wouldn't have done that much, I, I wouldn't have believed you. You know, there was a whole load of them, obviously. But it's just how quickly we forget just, um, you know, that difference between, between you know, again, we're talking to Meg and we've talked, to, talked about, you know, how she felt on the LET and the Symmetra and, and how she couldn't qualify despite winning and, and uh, how difficult it was. It just keeps bringing it back. Every time you mention, you know, I, I'm old enough and Tom probably won't even know these these players. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's just, you know, when you mention it, oh, I saw, you know, James Heath playing that or I saw yeah, whoever. And I just think, you know, I just remember. The best one, of course, was Jin Jong, wasn't it? But, um, you know, you just remember them coming through and thinking these are going to be fantastic. It just doesn't happen, does it? But anyway, I digress. It's just that memory that you bought. No, but I think I think that's right, though. I think it's, a, you know, maybe not so much a pertinent point for this event, but 
there's and I, I'm so hesitant now to you know quite often you say oh they're guaranteed to win this year or it's going to happen soon or Zalatoris will win if he can ever make some putts and ironically every time he's played well putting he's he's never won you know it's there's no there's no guarantees in golf and okay maybe for someone like a Zalatoris versus James Heath there is some more guarantees but it the margin between making it and not making it is so fine and when you've got the distraction of the two tours and and that sort of stuff that certainly doesn't help either and I think. That, that to me is, you know, this is definitely digressing, but that to me is the hardest thing for the DP World Tour players that have gone over to, to live and, and things like that, is that I feel like their schedule let them down a bit on the DP World Tour over the last couple of years. I know there's come with some challenges, but they've never really been able to get a proper footing. Uh, and the, Basically, the desire was just to get out on the PGA Tour and, and avoid all of that. And now they've been given this alternative where they've been thrown a load of money up front and not have to worry about it. It's... It's very, very hard, I think, to uh, to completely blindside that. But that is definitely a separate uh, thing there. Matt's got a very nice column coming out uh, on the Live Tour stuff. Well, we say very nice, Matt. I think I think it's one that's not going to be the most cheerful, uh, but it's certainly one <laughs> to, uh, to look forward to reading. Yes, hopefully. <laughs> Let, let's go into our bets then for the week. I'm going to start off with Jason Scrivener. I just think he's been in and out in terms of you know, form and, and finishing results, but his ball striking has been really, really good. He's top four in the field uh, in Tees Green in the last 15 weeks and 19th last week. Um, second in approach in the same time frame, and he lost nearly three strokes in the final round last week. Otherwise, it'd have been another good week for that as well. Was inside the top 11 for the first three rounds last week. Um, th- th- there's just a lot to like about Jason Scrivener. I think things are coming at him when you look at the fact he finished seventh here last year. I kind of. I didn't want to lean too much into last year because one is a different golf course and there didn't seem to be anything to correlate why they finished so well. But I just think it shows a kind of dealing with the format, although you could argue that he kind of threw it away having the 54-hole lead. But I just think it's his time to come and get a win and I think the format Jason might lend itself to him being able to get over the line. Um, it's difficult, isn't it? This, uh, I've no idea. Yeah. Uh, I do fancy one quite strongly. Um but having looked at last year when Otegi really should have won. Um, it was, I think he was, I was on him then. He was six just... foot quite away from a playoff or something, wasn't he? Oh, memory? God. Something like that. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> nice memory for you, that. No, but I mean, it does show, you know, there, you know, he was there and, and, and JB was there at some point. And, you know, I mean, this was this. It, look, it was a typical um, sort of lockdown field, wasn't it, back then? Um, if you look at the winner, John Calder, who Ben put up 150 that week by the way. Um, you know, if you look, he was going through a great run and, and, and that was during the lockdown period. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, sorry. Uh, back to you, Tom. Yeah, yeah I mean, look, I just think that it's, it's really hard. It's a really hard event to handicap and, and I thought, you know, could you look at their current form and, and see that it's just someone carrying on with decent form? But, you know, Caldwell missed the cut the week before. I can't let him off that because it was the European Open. That's a you know, pretty unique course, but 31st, 65th miscut, 42nd before then. I just thought, you know, where were the pointers? And looked at Otegi, it was similar. Looked at Scott Hendon, it was similar. I think it was, he had to go down to Alexander Bjork in seventh for the person that really stood out with someone with current form. So that would kind of argue against my own point that Scribner's got a good chance because he's in form. But I just think the way he's striking the ball, the fact he played it well last year, maybe a little bit of vengeance for his you know, disappointing collapse on the back nine or back 12, as it was, um, might just pay off. But 
before we come on to yours, I think it's about 40 to 1 for you, uh, Jason, if our, if our DM exchange earlier is correct. Um, Matt, was there any others for you at the top of the board? Oh, the only thing I just said about last, about last year is um, I, mean, I tend to think you either look at you either look for form and you try you try to find form that the bookie hasn't seen, yeah. Or you look for a course that suits. And I, I think what whatever Colgrell has done, he's kind of done on sort of traditionalist courses. And I can't remember Ben Curley's exact uh, rhetoric last year, but I, I think it was it was along along those lines. Um, so I, mean, I think if 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 you don't work out where where that came from, and I I also tend to think that if if you've got distinct sort of courses, but people can just find their form from anywhere in that. I mean, Lynx Golf is the is the perfect example of that. But but um, but at, at times that's that sort of thing. What is what happens? I've I've sort of just gone this week less on um, the format um, than just I, I think the play. I've you know I've done what I can looking at photographs, and I I think it looks tightish, and the sort of shots hitting into greens. Uh, sort of made me think of uh, Galgorm Castle and a little bit of Valderrama, and that's and as soon as I started to think that, I went, oh, okay, I'll go with John Catlin because he happened to win both of them two years ago, so it became quite straightforward in that regard. Um, and I, I th- he plays he plays nice golf when there's trees down the fairways, and if these greens are a bit tricky, he chips very nicely. Classic golfer who. Shots gained around the greens doesn't point that out, but scrambling does for some reason. I I have googled that to try and work out why they're so disparate so often those particular stats. Shane, Dave Tindall, who I'm sure you, you both know, but we're forever having this discussion about how sometimes it's around the green and scrambling they're so different how people figure. Um, and we've both read this thing that Mark Brody's written about it, and we've. Um, we have to confess we we don't entirely understand what we're reading. <laughs> yeah, I keep I keep trying to work out myself, and I thought I thought it was something to do with the actual it's a specific yardage as opposed to if you get up and down that counts as a scramble, whereas if it's within thirty yards it counts as around the green. But I, I well, still well, it's, it, it it does come down to the fact that scrambling it, it, that's very much a factor. So I mean, if you if you plonk it three off the tee it, it, out of bounds and you're hitting three off the tee. Um, your tee shot is your first scramble, so yeah. So it, it does make it apparent what how you could have two two balls go out of bounds in a season, and you've completely mucked up your scrambling stats for yeah. the year, really. Um, so it's quite straightforward how these things can suddenly tumble and look and look rubbish. <laughs> so John Catlin, for you, just based on um, you know the course correlations that you've made uh, for yourself, I, you know, I like that. I think. Jason, you're obviously a big fan of John Catlin. He comes into your uh, line of thinking quite a lot. Was he someone that you had your arm for this week as well? Yeah, I thought, I, I, yeah, you're waiting to see. I was waiting to see a little bit more from Catlin, but certainly at his best, you know, he should be right up there against this line. And, and as, as that says, you know, he's a specialist three line, three line player, and he's awesome when he's right. He doesn't, he doesn't flinch, does he? You know, he's one of those where if he's in contention, you know, unlike an awful lot of this lot, um, he's not going to flinch. Um, he done it brilliantly in Austria, didn't he, in that playoff? Yeah. Um, brilliant at Valderrama against Martin Keimer. I mean, it wasn't just once. I mean, we thought it was a fluke against Keimer, in a way. Um, you know, being the fact that the, the greatest course on the European Tour, you know, was playing so difficult. Um, but when he did it again in Austria, that was just, 
that playoff, he just would not let that trophy go. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it was brilliant. So yeah, I agree. If it gets if it gets really, I just wonder how difficult it will get, especially given the format of the competition. Um, it would be nice because of the last two weeks on both PGA and the European Tour, DP World Tour, nobody's reached level fours. And normally we're so used to seeing people winning 21, 23 under. The grind of the last couple of weeks has been absolutely fantastic. Um, so I would hope it would be similar. Um, but, you know, do we know? We don't know, do we, until, we, until it starts, really. Um, yeah. Let's just come on to your home favourite then that you, you're starting your car. Oh, I think Sebastian Soderberg should be 28 to 1. Um, I, I, I don't get his faulties. Um, I was very keen on him and even keener when I saw the price, to be honest with you. So cute at this cut. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's plenty for me to like about it. So I know you're a big fan of his as well, Tom. Yeah. When his, iron, when his irons are on, he's absolutely outstanding. Uh, Valderrama, you know, perhaps he should have won in 2021. Um, week after Mallorca, definitely should have won. Um, just made that, the, you know, that, that one mistake that cost him. But his irons were just... You know, I, I've always said I thought the best iron display I've seen on DP Tour in the last few years was Victor Perez when he was second at Wentworth. And um, uh, Soderbergh's iron play during that little period was just outstanding. Um, and he's now back, obviously. Um, he's a funny bloke, and he? he's very, very hard to read. I think when we put him up, he generally plays crap. Yeah, that, that's the that's the disclosure we must put out before. But, <laughs> but he's played he's played great at you know at the Belfry the other week. He played really well at the Dutch. So it doesn't matter what type of competition. Um, it would have been nice to have it at the same course as last year because um, you've got that Scottish link. Um, and there was a nice the Scottish Championship from a couple of years ago that Tagi won. Tagi won. Caldwell was seventh, and Soderbergh was ninth. Um, and he's tied for an Ordea when Norren won. Kelton was second, Dan top third. I think coming back here, I think the whatever the whatever the course is like, he's going to absolutely love it. Matt pulled up Valderrama. Obviously, he's got that tied second. Yeah. Um, fifth and third back home, back in form. Uh, I really, really like Soderberg this week. But what, what I liked about Soderberg, and you've obviously mentioned uh, that Nordea Masters third, Scandinavian Invitation before it was a split thing at fifth, and he's also won the Lumen Lakes on the Nordic. I, I just like the fact that he plays well. At home, you don't always see that from a, you know, a countryman to actually play well in front of their home crowd, and and I liked that. I liked the fact that he played well uh, at the Kenya Open as well, and the Challenge Tour. He obviously won there. I just think that just playing those kind of tree line golf courses, uh, a lot to like. And it was between kind of him and Lagergren for me uh, originally as to who I was going to put up. Lagergren's obviously uh, that's that sounds very familiar, Tom, because that's literally that was literally my dilemma because uh, yeah. I was very keen on Soderberg as well. Um, and in the, in the end, I actually went Lagergren, but um, I've, I'm, 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 I'm quite tempted. Now, I'm literally, as we're talking, just looking at what Soderbergh is on Betfair because I'm, I'm re-intrigued. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't pick between the two of them, so I went against both of them. But as, as we're all talking here, it's just kind of like, I think with Soderbergh, to your point, Matt, was like people just turn up on certain golf courses. He is the true links specialist, isn't he? And the, the only thought, kind of thing I thought about that was if there is this kind of, you, know, you mentioned the air in their description and the fact that, he, you know, he finished fifth last week on a demanding golf course where, you know, the, the passing really helps. And I just think he can come and do something like this. And he missed the cut here last year, but it doesn't matter too much. I just wonder between the two Swedes, uh, who could be the one. I always just, whenever I talk about Soderbergh, I always mention the fact they beat Roy McIlroy in a playoff. I always, that kind of sticks yeah. out to me. And 
sometimes that gives. He's done, he's done a lot better than Jeff Lucan did, having done that. Um, <laughs> I, I've I've always thought that um, it's less the case now, but for a while, uh, a big thing with Soderbergh was um, altitude. Yeah, because he's he's um, but he's also I'm just I'm just looking down. He's won at Ismolas, which I think is another. That's a very tight golf course. Um, Titan trees and also by the sea, so it's almost like a uh, carbon copy of this week. Um, albeit, albeit I'm saying that clean off the top of my head and not having seen a great deal of Hampstead. <laughs> so um, yeah, if you bear all that in mind, yeah. But uh, yeah, so he's won in Kenya. He's he won a course in Kran. I think he did. I think he what he did. I think one of his first decent results was up in Madeira. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for a long time, I I mean, I still think he's quite good in thin air. Uh, but uh, yeah, actually, this it's Molas is yeah. It's um, I'm getting more and more tempted. So so all we're doing here is we're all talking ourselves into Soderbergh, which means that we're all gonna you know just curse oh, him and miss the cut, <laughs> isn't it? And Jason's gonna hate us by the end of the podcast. But, you uh... know what? You know what? I, I got look. He's a man that, that we know. We know what he can do. But I, if he misses the cut in this field, oh, honestly, no. It, it, that, it, that it always seems to happen when uh, when we feel so certain. But. Just moving on slightly from uh, from Soderbergh, so that Matt can potentially put his bet on, and, and we can also kind of carry in fear that it's not going to go very well. Um, Tapio Paulkinen was another one for me that I thought was really interesting. He's missed a cut at the British Masters on his last start, but before that he was ninth in Catalonia, twenty third at the, the ISPS Hander, fourth ninth at Qatar, fifth at Stein City, and then twentieth and seventh across the two Raz Alkaima events. I just it just felt to me like he was playing really, really good golf. His ball striking was obviously fantastic during that run. Uh, another guy that seems to do some of his best work, you know, Wentworth, he's at a 17th and a 26th. He's a third at, you know, Joburg. He just seems to appear in those, but then to to kind of correlate with the by-the-sea stuff, he's obviously had that fourth place at the Dunhill Links. Um, really interesting player who, apart from just a magnificent hat, just has, you know, has piques interest quite a lot and just the way that he's top 14 of both tees green and approached the last 15 weeks you know just one bad miscut in there um, and, and it was a pretty disappointing miscut but I think the Belfry has its own challenges anyway and I just thought it was a bit of an advantage that he wasn't involved in that sort of slog last week that, that kind of got out of hand a bit I think so um, Tapio Paul Cannon was another one for me and so was Justin Waters who obviously I said jokingly to Jason in the message earlier is how many is he going to win by and he said yeah well how good is he normally out in front uh, and rightly so he's he's obviously not winning at this level very often if at all um, fifth in the field over the past 15 weeks his strokes game tees green um, you know in his last two made cuts he's been third in that category and first and twelfth in strokes game approach he did miss the cut in his last year but I just think you know, he's, he's a type of player that is going to break through at some point. I don't know what he's doing in at the start, but it does feel like he's, he's due a win. And uh, he was six after 54 holes last week, and typically for Justin Waters, a bad round sort of saw him tumble down the field. But I just think the way he's striking the ball is really good. I think if he can kind of get himself in the mix, maybe the format lends himself to, to less pressure, Jason. Um, so that's the kind of collection of players there of Waters and Paulkin and that I thought were interesting to talk about. Yeah, I, I thought Paulkinen wants um, a massive driving course, yeah. personally. Um, but I think, but I think we've seen this over the last few weeks. Um, maybe it's Sadal, where you can get a kind of big drive, but it does just take yeah, advantage yeah. of these shorter courses. Yeah, 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 and he's got the best hat on tour, isn't he? Hmm. So, you know. He has. And, and sometimes, sometimes I always used to think 
uh, a winner in Sweden, Ricardo Gonzalez. Everyone always used to think that he needed a big, a big yes. course to, to hit. And in actual fact, he won at Club Campo in Madrid, Cran, and Barca back. That's right. And it was almost like actually sometimes it, it was either having trees down the fairways made him a better driver, or taking the driver out of his hands made him a better golfer. I, I don't know which one it was necessarily, but it was. Like, I think he won at he won in Seville as well, which I think was, uh, what you, is not somewhere you definitely say, oh. That's great for Ricardo Gonzalez. So sometimes it's like a bit, it's, it's a bit odd. It, it doesn't quite work how you think it would work. Yeah, it's just golf besting in a nutshell, isn't it? But um, I've, I've, I've had a really bad case of deja vu. We've had that discussion about Ricardo Gonzalez before, Matt. I think I often repeat myself. I think, I think you are the leader in mentioning Ricardo Gonzalez on podcasts because I don't, yeah, know, yeah, yeah. I don't know that he comes up too often. But I think... Maybe the last time I spoke to you, I was going off to Mauritius for the um, yes, yes, she was for the senior tour event, and uh, that that event only had a, it literally only had about six holes was played before it got rained off, and uh, I did follow three holes of Ricardo Gonzalez, <laughs> and uh, I, I and here's the thing, it's a very tight golf course that, and it was really windy, and he nailed, he was hitting shots that were never more than six feet high, it was. Oh, that's why I stuck with him because it was just so much fun watching somebody just nail them beneath the wind. So yeah, maybe, maybe there's more to him than and and I've, I think I've always, I think I last time I was on I mentioned that I, have, I think Adrianes is a modern version of him in a way. That might be what it was. I think we we are gonna yeah we're gonna I might get uh, Ricardo Gonzalez to sign something and send it to you because that would be uh, I, think that, <laughs> I think I think that would be uh, really well received and he. Uh, by yeah. all accounts, seem like a good chap on Zor and someone that you obviously a, bo- a, box, a box of Argentinian steak or something. Like that. Yeah, we'll do we'll do something like that. I'm sure we can uh, we can help you out. But uh, <laughs> Matt, before you uh, head off, because we're you know we, we've sort of only got you for kind of a half an hour or a bit longer now. But yep. um, was there any other people that you wanted to mention before you kind of departed? Maybe someone in a longer shot region or anyone around the kind of okay. the Well, I'll, I'll very briefly mention um, Lagergren. So. Um, uh, he did, he's played quite well at Barca back actually. Dar es Salaam, uh, Milano, which is very tight, um, and also also um, he's a winner at Galgon Castle. The only other person I, I thought has a bit of a chance is somebody who's played Parkland golf quite well in the Northern Hemisphere, and that's um, Jack Senior, yeah. who you can get the three figures, and he's played well at Spade Valley, Katrin Holmes in Sweden, uh, also Galgorm. Um, Royal Park uh, Golf, sorry, Royal Golf Club in Copenhagen. That's just over the water from Halmstad. Um, so um, I, I think he's um, I, he, he's one of those. I think we all have them in, as punters. We think, oh, sooner or later, something's going to happen with him. Um, and this is another one where I think I think I was on him last year actually, based on the fact that I was looking at Spay Valley as a good fit for last year, uh, and. Um, I don't think it's exactly the same fit this year, but I think the fact that he's played good golf, good Parkland golf in, in the Northern Hemisphere is quite handy. Um, so, yeah, I've gone for him. Yeah, I think I went with Jack Senior, maybe in the Catalonia Championship, because he has some uh, a ridiculous record in Spain, uh, and that was about the only time he ever missed a cut there. So that was that was my fond memory of backing Jack Senior. But he, is, he looked for a, for a little while, maybe over the last couple of years, that he could break through. Uh, seemed to you know be up there more than his results suggest, which was always good to see. Um, and you know he, he's certainly a player that has plenty in front of him. So 
I like the Jack Senior shout and Joachim Lagerum is obviously someone that came into my thoughts as well. Um, so Matt, we will bid you farewell. Uh, thank you very much for joining us and kind of giving us better insight into some of the players that you know maybe our listeners and ourselves don't know too much about. Um, check Matt's work out on Planet Sport. There's going to be a, a nice article as we sort of alluded to earlier coming up soon. And uh, I thank you as ever, Matt, for joining us. That's great. Thanks a lot. And uh, a good man. week. Uh, good luck hunting this week, everybody. You too. Yeah, cool. Thank See you, you soon. See you soon. Thank you See you. Bye. Folks, sweaty sack summer is approaching and it's now time for you to prioritise the comfort of your crotch. That's why the king of crotch comfort, Manscaped, has spent two years designing the most comfortable boxer briefs out there. Now I've had the honour of testing out these new boxers and I can say it's the softest fabric of any underwear I've ever owned. It's so breathable that it's like gills for your groin. They even trademark the jewel pouch so you know it's serious. I think it's time for you to invest into your family jewels, so let your bulge breathe and get 20% off and free shipping by using the code LFW20 at Manscaped. Let's say you're on a date and your partner catches that Manscaped on the waistband of your underwear, it's almost a guarantee to raise some eyebrows and act like a billboard on a highway to Pleasure Town. The micro model fabric is buttery soft and breathable, keeping your cucumber cool. Walk, run or strut, these moisture wicking boxes breathe without breaking a sweat. The tagless waistband hugs your body without digging in and lays flat against your skin to reduce the chafing and the front fly opening gives easy access and makes bath and breaks quick and efficient. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the code LFW20 at manscaped.com and that's 20% off and free shipping with LFW20 at manscaped.com. So once the boxes 2.0 touch your sack, you will never go back. Jason, the sort of the other ones for me were, um, so Dale Whitnell came up in my sort of look just because it seems to me that he's only made four or 14 cuts this year, but when he does make the cut, it's really impressive. 35th in Abu Dhabi, but that's amongst a pretty strong field. Tied 10th in Stein City, tied 23rd at the Sadao Open, where he was tied for you know the lead for 36 holes, 14th for the Dutch Open. I just I don't know if it's a bit of a lazy comparison, but I thought he was a fairly similar profile to Jonathan Caldwell and the fact that he can get really hot with his short game and you know when his irons do come together, he, he could get on a bit of a run. So I thought Dale Whitnell was uh, an interesting price at 125 or 112, whatever you can get now. Uh, yeah, absolutely. He was down on my short short list. Um, yeah, he's got a load, again another lovely short game when he's right. Um, and why not? Exactly the sort of level that that he could contend in. Yeah, yeah, can't argue with you. Um, you want my couple? Yeah. Um, at big prices, whatever way you want to play. I looked at Nacho Elvira. Yeah. Who um, when he won the Kazoo in Wales, Kawamura uh, was fifth, Horsfield was sixth, Vincent Norman was tenth, Kruzik was tenth. And um can't read my writing on the bottom one. <laughs> but um, uh, that ties in very, very well with last year's. I know it's not the same course. Um, that ties in very, very well with last year's uh, field. Um, he's also got form in Maybank, Morocco, Crans, uh, the Lynx, his top 10. Um, I know he's impossible to read. But again, in this sort of field, um, you know, without an awful lot of players you'd expect to turn up, 125, 141. Maybe worth a little bit more likely to be a top twenty or you know something like that, um, or top um, top uh, crispy snack. <laughs> I don't know what price he'd be. Uh, what I did look at when I was doing the research on that was um, 2015. This course held the European Team Amateur Championship. Yeah. And if you look at that, you'll see an awful lot of players that we know and love today. Not all top class, I admit, but um, 
Scottish team, for example, had you and Ferguson, Grant Forrest, Connor Sign. None of them are playing. Um, <laughs> and I was really, really keen on Yannick Paul. Um, the Germany actually were clear after the 36 holes of stroke play. They were five shots clear of Ireland, who in turn six shots clear of Spain. And then obviously you had the match play, which um, um, you know might not count so much. Um, and I really, really wanted to be somebody from the German team. But Yannick Paul's decided not to play. Hurley Long's not playing. So I was left with Nikolai von Watzi's face. Dellinghausen, um, yes. Yeah, which is a shame that Matt's not on, because he would have got the car. <laughs> um, now, he doesn't appear in the individual points sort of list, for example. He was in that team, so he has got... You know, it is furious, because, you know, does it really matter? Um, maybe it does, because we've put him up a couple of times during lockdown at very big prices. Um, and, you know, he's got that little bit of form that it isn't, it isn't awesome. Uh, but when he does turn up, he's, he seems to be able to do... Um, I've lost my page now, so you carry on, Tom. He <laughs> uh, seems to be able to, to compete. And again, it's a level where once you take the first lot out, if you can take 20 players out of this, yeah. you're not talking a lot. You know, 13th in Catalonia, uh, obviously um, played well last week, top 20, on a really, really difficult track. Second at Tenerife. You know, that, that was a little period during lockdown 2021 when he started catching the eye. Look, he's a winner. It's lower down, but he is a winner. Um, it's it's a pure it's a pure chance based on the fact that I really wanted to be with somebody from that tournament, and given that Karen Muir is not playing, Yannick Paul's not playing, Adrian Otegi is not playing, um, you know I started struggling really. Um, so he's who I ended up with. So so him and Nacho uh, or something. But yeah, they they pale into insignificance when you talk about Soderberg as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean Nikolai von Dellinghausen gained nearly 11 strokes in approach last week. The only thing I was a bit concerned about yeah. that was how, yeah. how it's, obviously it was accurate, but because people were just chucking balls in the water left, right and centre, and they obviously just by not putting it in the water gained a certain amount of strokes each day. Um, how much of that can you read into? But like Whitnall, when he makes a cut, he just seems to you know step up. You know what? I'd love to ask a player what what happens. I mean, you know how much they look at all this. Obviously, yeah. some players are totally stepping. You know, if you come off and you know you've you've uh, led the tee to green, unlike us, you're not too cynical about it. You should be trained not to be, um, and go, oh, I don't know what happened. You should come off of that and go, I'm striping the irons really well. Go back to your coach. You know, I'm striping really well. Yes, you are, and and you know you must get some sort of boost from it. Um, I'm not sure. I don't play at that level. I don't play at any yeah. level. I wonder, wonder if he looks on tour tips and, and sees his stats for himself. No, but they will know. They will know their they've stats. They've got to, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Well, um, I, th- I saw, actually, I, saw, I don't know if you saw it, Jace, but there was a feature on Edward Molinari's stat company on the European Tour feed or DP World Tour feed earlier last week, and they were talking about Fitzpatrick uses it. Um, there's about four or five players that use it. And uh, they said, oh, what do they all have in common? My first thought was, well, they, none of them can putt, apart from Fitzpatrick. But it was actually, uh, it was just the fact they used Molinari's stats. But it's interesting that they now go to another player to track that, as opposed to, you know, I, I can't see how there's so many different suppliers of stats in the in the professional game and not just one that they trust. But um, Did you, sorry, did you see, you talk about Fitzpatrick, did you see a tweet that said, he writes down every shot. Every shot he's ever every hit. Every shot he ever hit, he yeah. writes down a shot. Since turning, yeah. I think even when he was amateur, but certainly since he's turned pro, he's, he's recorded. That's Daniel Rappaport, I think. The, the, that's about, it, yeah, and yeah, That's yeah. his uh, friend, isn't it? Every shot is... I mean, I don't know if that's... 
I mean, it's amazing and it's commendable. I don't know if that's paralysis by analysis eventually, but um, yeah. it might be the reason why he cross-hand chips and does certain things, but it's amazing. Well, it might be a reason why Foster told me to get on with it. Yeah, yeah, I think there's one. Um, think... his, brother, his brother's just turned pro, hasn't he? He so, has, um, yeah, turned down the live money while he was at it. So, uh, interesting enough, I, I had this thought about Billy Foster and Matt Fitzpatrick the other day. I don't remember how young certain players were when Foster joined them, but he generally went to a more established top player, but eventually towards the end of his career. I just wonder if he's not struggling with it, but it's a different experience going with someone on an upward trajectory as opposed to someone that was already there and kind of just trying to get them over the line. Um, I mean, it's obviously been beneficial. I think he's playing well, but he definitely is playing well. And I think it's been beneficial, but it just like, you know, like the perfect example and why I thought back to it is the fact that you said, yeah, remember that time when he told me to get on with it. It just makes me think that like he's, he's been used to players just getting out of their own heads and just cracking on. And maybe this new age of all these stats and, and the way that they kind of overanalyze things, he might just get a little bit fed up at times, and that could that could build into things. I'm not sure. I, I think yeah, I think sometimes it's a bit over analysis. But then then you read some startling stats from um, oh god, Lou Lou Stagner. Yeah. Um, you read some stunning facts on there. You know about your perception of what a good round is, or your perception of how often you should be within 15 feet. And and as he always says, you know, it's a number. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. That is actually what happens. Um, you know, but then that's the old sort of, you know, golf model against, um, you know, against opinion, isn't it? Of course it is. Um, although a golf model, again, is opinion, isn't it, really? You know, how much weighting should I put on par four performance from 500 to 550 yards? You know, how much does it change if you go 30%, 32% or whatever? Well, it's, um, like, it's like par three scoring this week in the Canadian Open could be really beneficial because there's five par threes and that's not you know, rare. It doesn't work, does it? it, it you really and, don't and know, do plus, plus Nino Batesio is playing there, so... <laughs> it doesn't matter, does it? No. Um, but let, let, I'm just going to quickly run down these teams that, cause, just because it was interesting you mentioned that tournament. So for Belgium, you had Thomas Dietrich who was the standout player, obviously not playing. Denmark, you had Nicholas Norgard Muller who is playing. Uh, England, you had Ashley Chesters. Finland, Kim Koivu, who if he is playing, I did not see. Um, but France had Romain Longasque and Antoine Rosner. And Robert and Skio Segres, who actually won the individual uh, part of this. Uh, but the interesting names, obviously, Nikolai Van Dunninghausen and Hurley Long, you mentioned Jeremy and Yannick Paul. Um, Ireland had Paul Dunn and Gavin Moynihan. Scotland had Ewan Ferguson, Grant Forrest, Connor Simon, who you obviously mentioned not here. Spain, Pep Anglais, Adrian Laos, John Rahm. And John Rahm finished eighth in the individual part, behind three shots behind Robin Skier Seagrest. So it's really hard sometimes to establish what these tournaments mean. And, and But at that point in their careers, um, I'm not saying they were better players than John Rahm because they weren't. But, you know, it's interesting that they can, he could beat them. And it's, it's you know it's interesting to see. And Marcus Kinderholt played for Sweden uh, in that, and he is in the field this week. So Well, he was unbelievable amateur, wasn't he? So. Yeah. And, it, and, and that, interesting that he's come back from epilepsy last year, isn't he? And it's, you know, it's amazing, really. He's a runner. I, I had him down. I had him down. I yeah. just can't. I just can't. It's like back in... Um, you get it. I'll come to him in a minute. <laughs> the only other like, sort of other person I thought looked big, um, but there's Schwab. reasons for it. Schwab. Like Sorry, Schwab. Schwab. I, can't, yeah. I can't do it. It's was David Lowell it was 100 to 1. I thought that was quite interesting. I thought... You know, for someone that could just come out of nowhere, um, Sammy 
Burmaki had a lot of backers and, and fans in this event, 125 to 1. There, there seems to be some players that you can go to. Scott Hend, interestingly, was, I think, third in this last year and has actually made his last two cuts and played a bit better. He's 200 to 1. Um, but I just didn't get too far involved in this one because I, I think it's a really hard one to handicap. You know what? The David Law chat isn't isn't horrendous. No. You, think you would want bigger price ordinarily, wouldn't you? Yeah, of course you would. And blinkers. But, um, that's not a bad chat. He likes he likes it. He loves his sort of test. Yep. That's not bad. That's not bad. Yeah, first round leader as well. He, he likes he likes appearing. Likes a fast start. Yeah. He does like a fast start. Yeah, I don't mind that one. Yeah. yeah. So interesting. Any other names for you before we move on to the Canadian Open? No, well, they, none of them are playing. So. Um, so it doesn't matter. Playing. You need to get on the phone to their agents again, don't you? Because they need to uh, start playing. Wasting my bloody time. Yeah, you get all excited about who is going to be winning the event, and they're not I even there. Um, let's go to the Canadian Open then, and we are at St George's, which has been used last in 2010. Carl Peterson won over... Who finished second, Jason? Uh, Dean Wilson, I believe. Dean Wilson. Do you know who that is? Oh, I didn't. Uh... He's a singer from the 1950s, isn't he? <laughs> he did once win a tournament called the International where he beat Tom Lehman, uh, which has oh. you know, got a, a very... He was the last person to win that event, which got a pretty good roll of honour. Uh, Retief Goosen won it. David uh, Davis Love, Rich Beam, David Toms, Ernie Ells. So, golf was proper. Yeah. Yeah. European golf was proper, yeah. Yeah, he won some... Uh, well, that was a PGA event then, so... You know, oh, that, was, that was um, that was a big win. He won six stars on the I've Japan Tour. I've that as well, won the international. I've written that <laughs> yeah. There you go. So, you know, I don't think we're going to learn anything. But also, his middle name is Hiroshi. So, Dean Hiroshi Wilson, born in Hawaii. Interesting little fact of the day there. Uh, well, well, people can decide whether it was interesting or not, but I thought it was interesting. Um, must be pointed out that the Canadian Open of recent years was a very different venue to this. Glen Abbey was more about kind of longer drivers and bigger hitters. You've seen Jason Day, Jonathan Vegas twice, Dustin Johnson there, and then Rory McIlroy won at Hamilton the last time this event was there in 2019. So any concerns, Jason, that if people look at sort of recent Canadian form, they might just get a little bit caught up in people playing well at a completely different golf course? Yeah, I've had nothing to do with the recent form at all. No. Uh, well, not have anything to do with it, but I mean, you know, it hasn't it hasn't come into. I looked straight back at 2010, uh, mentioned it earlier that it's for plodders, um, and if you look down the list, the amount of people that have placed top ten in the players, um, so careful, careful, you know, golfers. Um, I mean, it's it's it was all over for me. I mean, Peterson's got two top ten at the players. Uh, even Wilson's got tied eight. Donald, of course, has played well at the players. And the Heritage, which Peterson has obviously also played well at. Yeah. Charms is top 10. Tim Clark won the players. Matt Kuchar won the players. And there's a top 20s all over the place. Uh, even Bryce Mulder's got a 12th at the players. And Kevin Nahr, dear deceased Kevin Nahr, who's gone over to the Live Tour. Um, <laughs> resigned from he the BJ Tour. Yeah, sorry. He was tied. Yeah, he's resigned. <laughs> he was tied 13th. And uh, he's got uh, three, six, third, sixth, and seventh at the players. But I was. That that lot, you have to have a pointer. Sometimes I'm right, some most of the time I'm wrong. That's the way I went. It makes an awful lot of sense to me, in that it's uh, it's for careful people, careful people. It's for players that are a bit more, you know, uh, careful with their game. Uh, that then linked on to the RBC Heritage for obvious reasons, and that's where I went. I put a lot. I put a list of players and heritage form, blah 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 blah. Uh, and then went on to look at uh, approaches and tee to green, but 
we always discuss it. Of course, it's tee to green, but some tee to greens are formed of driving, some tee to greens are formed of approaches. Yeah, that's the way I went. Ended up with a list. Half of the buggers aren't playing. Of course and, they're not. Uh, and uh, there's, uh, there's one that stands out if you want to really back him at that price. Well, it's two really. Matt mentioned one earlier, and uh, I think there's another that absolutely stands out and can, will not be out of the top eight. Yeah, I mean, I, I very much agreed. I, I kind of looked at a few of the, the shorter courses. So I looked at Colonial, looked at Heritage, I looked at Hawaii. Um, players is obviously certainly in there now for me, as you said that all. Um, but really and truly, like you say, I think it's it's one of those ones that the rare tournament of the year where it is going to reward you know, some shorter hitters and not because you know, you, you're going to get in trouble with your driver so much, but just because it equalises it a little bit. And I think that's that's huge. Um, Shane Larry for you was was top of your bill. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's it's all relative, isn't it? Um, you know, yeah. I mean, the, the top lot are obviously. I'm surprised that somebody like Cam Smith actually has come here, but um, you know, and he may not obviously after. You know, it's, that was a very strange opening nine last night. But yeah. anyway, um, obviously, you know, complete quality plays any calls, fantastic short game. I don't know till we see this properly whether this might be a bit too wild for him, but he's now got to a price that I don't know. I just can't. Um, I'd much rather have Justin Thomas than Scotty Scheffler. Um, and then, as Matt mentioned, Sam Burns is is just blind, isn't he? He's playing. He plays. He seems to play any course, doesn't he, Sam Burns? Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't. Um, he doesn't have a type, does he? He's just very proper good. Proper courses. These are proper courses. He's a multiple winner now. Eleventh um, in approaches, twenty second tee to green. Um, he's got, I think, only a couple of goes at the players. Um, he was sixth after a missed cut. And at the Heritage, he's got a top ten as well. Um, so he looked reasonable. Corey Connors, I think, is now too short in terms of win equity. Um, and Lowry, for me, just he, he just stood out. There is twenty to one with William Hill for a top eight. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's. Yeah, I'm not. It's not buying, man. It's not like um, Starkies over the women's because I think that is literally only a. 10, 12 sort of women event. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's fantastic. He's obvious, you know, everybody knows who the, what these players do. He's eighth in approaches, 2013 green. Um, players, he's got plenty of form, top 10, top 15, top 20. Heritage, he plays really, really well. So I think he's got three top 10s, including two thirds. Yeah. He was second in Canada uh, 2019. I know a different course. Beat by Rory, he hit 61 in the final round. Um, I think Webb was also second there, I think. Um, Sneds was fourth, Cooch was fourth, and Hadwin was sixth. So, actually, that form um, looks... Yeah, the 20, 2019 actually, was a lot closer than what you would have said at Glen Abbey. Yeah, it matches It matches what I'm looking for. You know, when you when you consider the you know, Cooch has obviously you know, got form at, at tight courses, Hadwin, Snedeker, Webb. You know, Stenson so was up there, Yeah, he's got form at Wentworth. Um, if you want a bit of sort of tighter, tighter track, we know what Shane Harry does. He's very, very accurate. He's just letting people down with his. He's just not taking advantage of his of his game, is he? Really, no. at the end of the day, it's the only thing that's happening. But I, I think he's got a massive chance this week. Um, it's up to you whether you think twenty to one is value. Um, I happen to think it's okay. I think it's fine in this field. I think <laughs> it's interesting you said Colby Collins is too short because I have gone with him. But it, uh, these two players, right? I think. You know, these were people that we wanted to be on for both majors. I think most people wanted to be on one or the other, either of them. I know Connors is more of the Masters, but generally speaking, they're, they're high-profile players who have been playing very solidly. Shane Larry just so consistent all year. Ball strike has just been absolutely ridiculous. 
I just wondered whether he's getting to a point where he's going to get so frustrated he's not getting over the line that it kind of yeah. catches up with him. But you, you, like you always say to me, mate, and as I always fall in the trap, you can't you can't predict these people. We're not in their heads. He might be thinking it's coming this week, and you've got no I, idea. I, yeah, I also I also think you, you know it's it's he knows now, doesn't he? he he's you know, he's, he's got. It's not like um, uh, I know you're going to might come on to him, a fee now or a Laurie yeah. Cantor, you know, where they just must get into a position and think it's just not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, he's an open champion. Yeah. I mean, WGC. Yes, he has to prove. He wants to prove to everybody he can <coughs> do it. Um, but yeah, I think I think you know, I think at the each way price. Yeah, I mean, I didn't actually recap the other odds. So, Schepler at 9 to 1, Thomas at 10 to 1, Roy McRoy at 11, Cameron Smith and Burns at 14, Fitzpatrick at 20. So, those are the ones above that. I just didn't go there just because it's the week before a US Open. And, you know, I don't question the reasons they're there. They're there because they want to be there. But um, I just I just find it difficult to take someone so short odds when there's such a big event on the horizon. Um Corey Connors at 22 is one. Just for me, it just stood out that he led the field and approach last week. And when he starts to do that, I think that's that's a big sign. Now, we'll counter that with saying that leading the, the field and approach at um, Memorial was very different to leading here, two different types of tests. But, you know, he's, he just seems to be equally adept at playing long and short courses. And he was fourth at the Heritage, third at the Sony, eighth at Colonial, tenth at the RSM. Um, you know, 13th last week, first in approaches, eighth in Tees Green. And when he's doing that, he seems pretty dangerous to me so um Corey Connors and Shane Lowry I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with both of those starting off and I, th- I also thought Tyrrell Hatter's form has been quite sneaky but I just can't be bothered to try to follow him around for 72 holes hoping <laughs> that he doesn't go for a head off um other than that I think he was decent value as well um what about Adam Hadwin there seems to be quite a decent following from Adam Hadwin this week and for obvious reason I guess yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can't knock him. I mean, there was what sixty-six or something around yeah. earlier. Uh, that's 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 pretty impressive um, value, I suppose. Um, yeah, can't, I, I wouldn't back him at the price he is now, but you know, he just doesn't have enough. I don't know. This this is something I, I just don't see him winning. I mean, you know, it took him a while. It, it took him. I think it took him a little bit to get over that hole in one over the weekend, um, which was good. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Can't knock him. He just didn't at this price. I'm not bothered to be honest. No, no, I get that. That's all it was, really. Yeah, That's all it was. Uh, and, and I don't think Canadians really. They don't. They they really don't. And I, I just wonder whether Connors will be the type that can break that. Just because I, th- I think he's the type that can, or he obviously has contended the major championships or been up there. And I don't think he takes the pressure on like a Mike Weir would have done back in the day, who was the only one. Do you know what I mean? There seems to be a decent collection of them now that. The, the pressure's split quite equally. You've got Mackenzie Hughes, you've got Adam Hadwin, you've got Taylor Pendriff, you've got Corey Connors. You know, there's so many of them. They kind of all... There's not just one great hope in, in Mike Weir anymore, and that might be a disrespect to someone I'm not thinking of, but Mike Weir seems to be the, the Canadian golfer that I always think of uh, before this lot. So, um, yeah, that was kind of my thoughts on that. I thought uh, C.T. Pan was hitting the ball incredibly well for a long period of time. Seems like the type of test that he likes. Um not sure about the price. And then I just came on to triple digits. So is there anyone for you before we get to triple digits? Um, I, I, do you know what? I looked at Chris Quirk's, Chris Kirk quite, um, quite strongly. Yeah. Uh, just think at the price. It's, 
Why not? I mean, but you know, I look at Kirk and I think of like people like Stuart Sink. But when he start when he started winning, you know, he was big price, wasn't he? Do I want to be on at forty or fifty or why not? I suppose it's one of those ones. Again, you have to kind of trick yourself into what it is, don't you? Because it's not bad value in this, really, is it? Once you get past the the top five or six of the best, and everyone else is, you know what? Average. He's got, yeah, I mean, he's got he's got again. He's another one that you you sort of. I love him. Yeah. Into and, and and again, he you know you look at it and you think he went through that little bit of patch by coming back from obviously he's had issues. Yeah. Um, you know he's come back and and when he plays, what well, he's not not fifth at a major. Um, no. You know, when nobody's expecting him to do anything. Um, had a had actually had a half a chance at uh, Colonial before the final round. Uh, not worried about last week; doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, and his teeth green. Um, have been very very impressive this year. You know, he's been finding strokes all over the place. I, I don't like the price. He fits. He fits, but he's he was about fifteenth uh, on the list. Yeah, and he only ends up as third or fourth because there's so many non-runners. Because <laughs> because no one else turned up. Yeah, so I'm not really bothered about him, to be honest. Um, another two, again, for, um, for top 20, top 30. Aaron Rye, who I think um, this is finally a course that might suit him. Um, you know, again, it's I don't mean to plot it, but it's careful. It's a careful track, isn't it? Is what I mean more than yeah. anything. Um, <laughs> oh, we know sorry. Aaron Rye. We know him well enough from over here. Um, and we, you know, what he does, and we know he does it very, very well. Having said that, you know, he's... he's Best performances, you know, at uh, farmers and places like that. Are, are, um, that was my slight, slight hesitance on him. Is that he and hasn't? See that, you know, obviously the Kenya form uh, Wentworth, Gary Player. He knows exactly what he wants, and this may well suit. So I'm looking at him for a top, whatever. Grayson Sig, I'm waiting to do something, and he's very, very straight. So again, this course may suit. And uh, Nate Lashley, who um, a bit like Kirk, obviously not as not as good and prolific. But Nate Lashley is very, very similar in that when you get to a short course, he doesn't lose any advantage off the tee. You know, he's got plenty of top 20s this year. Not necessarily in great fields. Um, yeah, might might give him a go. but uh, you know, They're not ones I'd expect to win. No. But I certainly will have a look at the... Um, there'll be ones that I'm putting up for the top 20, top 30 over in America anyway. Yeah. Well, do you think, like you mentioned about Aaron Ryan, we've kind of just a couple of times now about him not playing well where you'd expect him to. Is that a concern? Because finishes 26th last week at Memorial, finishes 24th at Mexico Open, which was long, 6th at the Farmers, um, 15th at Mike Over was good and then kind of informed what he does. But 68th at Colonial, um, you know, 66th at the Honda Classic, 65th at the Pebble Beach. Miscut the Sony, like it worries me that where you'd expect him to make his money. Like I thought he had five or six chances this year, and it was all those ones I mentioned, and that's where he's been his worst. I don't, I don't yeah. know if it's like a, is it like a? Oh, again, we can't guess, but I wonder if it's like a self-imposed pressure. Like this is my chances, where you can he sort of goes for it a bit too much, whereas he comes to another event where, like, okay, I can't win here, like Kevin Kisner, um, and just finishes top twenty and makes some money. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know enough about what he's doing over there whether he's trying to chase length whether you know I, I don't know you know and um, I think we have to leave it at that really we can only do what we can see yeah uh, yeah I agree with you I do agree with you I think I think he should be there are certain courses he should be competing on um, and being a lot lot better don't know I, 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 we don't see you know when he's in contention we see him but we don't see anything else do we no. so, 
is he being rushed? I don't know. Cause he's very methodical, isn't he? Yeah. Um, is he being rushed to, to play? Does he feel any pressure out there? Um, but I don't know how close how sort of close he is to sort of not keeping his card at the moment. Um, I think he must be doing he, okay, must he? Because he's, he's had some... well, you take with a couple of top tens in, <coughs> yeah. in decent tournaments. It, it, it sort of it must be okay. Um, weird, isn't it? Maybe maybe when he, you know, when it's confirmed that you know he's got to do something disastrous or that, that he keeps the card, um, he'll start flying. Yeah, he's seventy eight in think... the standings at the moment, so he's oh, right. decent. He's very similar. Very similar. I know he's not same, you know, same experience, but similar to somebody like Grayson Sick, who, yeah. who, um, you know, really, really should be, you know, playing well at these courses. We've seen Tigala come through. I mean, he's he's got. I don't think he's got any chance this week. Um, but my God, he's going to win very soon, isn't he? Yeah. So that, that's totally opposed to what you said about half an hour ago. <laughs> uh, but he is. I mean, he's just awesome. But I think Sig's got uh, some some real talent. Um, he's just not doing it at the moment. Um, just so both of those are generally straight, and this is the type of course they should be getting top twenties on, really, um, if they play at their best. Yeah, I thought Aaron Rye's price particularly was was good for what you'd expect it to be. It just worries me he doesn't play to form, but eventually that probably regresses to what it should do, and and hopefully for him it does because you know it's he considering what he's doing in the events that shouldn't suit him, he deserves another shot at it next year where he sees all the courses for a second time would be my uh, opinion on that. But um, Someone who looked a bit short on the first look and I didn't really go for, but now has got bigger is Pat Perez at 100 to 1. Um, Pat Perez, I feel like someone you're going to have to give up at some point because I don't know whether the motivation is there to actually do it. But 38 for 12 and 26 for his last three starts. Tied ninth at Pebble, tied six at Farmers earlier in the year. Seems to be having a little bit of a late charge uh, in his career. 14 for the Rocket Mortgage last year isn't a bad little sort of prerequisite to this. Um, third of the players way back when, so that's that's a nice little link into that. And I'm pretty sure uh, he played okay here in 2010. I'm probably going to correct myself now as I'm loading it up, and my nose is getting more and more blocked. Um, where was he? No, he missed the cut here in 2010, so I don't know where I got that one from. Um, but yeah, he just seems to be playing quite nicely on these kind of short courses. Uh, we know what sort of Pat Perez is about, and you know you don't really need to guess uh, anything with Pat Perez. We know what he is now, so. Happy with Pat Perez, I thought, 100 to 1. And then another couple for me, uh, you mentioned him earlier, actually, uh, was Brian Snedeker. And I just wonder, yeah. he's improving yeah. <laughs> He's improving his irons a little bit. And he's he's never going to be what Brian Snedeker was because the game's passed him by. But, you know, he's made his last two cuts. He's made three in the last five. Different golf courses, but his last sort of finishes in the Canadian Open, 7th, 5th, missed cut, 34th, 1st, 25th, 5th, 8th, 4th. The 4th obviously coming uh, to Roy McIlroy at that Hamilton Golf Club convention could be quite a good pointer. Did miss the cut here in 2010, but not too worried. If he can start hitting those irons like we know Brant Seneca can, then, you know, I think he's got a good chance. I think we keep trying to find a renaissance from him. We keep finding a renaissance from uh, Luke Donald, and neither of them seem to pan out. Um, but I thought just coming back to Canada where he's played so much yeah. in the past uh, was interesting enough and like I say two made cuts in the last two starts and then Tyler Duncan for me was the one that I thought was really interesting he's 15th at Colonial, 12th at the Heritage 25th at the Valspar his only win coming the RSM he was 17th at the 2018 Canadian Open and this is probably a better course for him 12th, 40th and 28th for his last three uh, made cuts for Teaser Green which 
is pretty good considering he's not a long hitter. And 40th, 9th, and 35th in approaches suggests that actually his T uh, off the T game is better all around the greens, which is going to help him as well. So Tyler Duncan at 125 to 1 interests me as well. Yeah. Yeah, do you know what? I think I think, you're, I think there are cases to be made against um, a lot of the top lot. And, and yeah. as you rightly say, you know, how many of them are actually there? How many are there to, I don't know if they are, how many are there to show solidarity to the tour um, over obviously what's happening over the other side? Um, do you think that's a factor for these ones at the top? Because they didn't, they didn't do it for the DP World Tour, which I thought was disappointing. I know it's a, some people are calling it a gimmicky event, but like, to me, this is the perfect chance for Sheffield, Thomas, Rory, Smith, Burns to, to make it clear. I mean, Rory's played this event before, so not too much of a surprise. But Justin uh, Thomas, I think they were talking about him possibly taking over Dustin's role as RBC. Uh, I was going to say know. that. I was going to say that they've got some money to give this out, yeah. haven't they? So, um, you know, it, it's funny how the world works, isn't it? You know, you get into some controversy um, and then three months later... You're you the know, man again. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's the way journalism works, isn't it? You know, you're always looking for a headline. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, it, I think it may be a factor, um, but then, you know, how much dissent is there to? to yeah, you know, I thought this whole thing. Anyway, we won't go there. It's politics, so we're not going there. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's, but it's interesting. Well, it's the week before US Open, so that's, that's right. it's a good part of the schedule for them to get some reps in. Um, completely well, different. Well, yeah, but but is it? It's a completely different track. Yeah. Just maybe just sharpen an iron a little bit, play some shots that you don't normally play. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's it's hard to work out. Maybe it's just the fact there hasn't been a Canadian Open for three years and people want to kind of help them out. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, in fact, having thought about it for three seconds, I do think there is a little bit of um, of support for yeah. Canadian Open. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Um, anything else you want to mention on the Canadian Open before we kind of sign off? It's, it's a week, I think, where you don't want to dive in too much. You've got a major cut up next week. I wouldn't be bothered watching this, and but I will watch the the Scandi. So that's yeah. that's quite a, you know that's quite a, a, a thing to say, I suppose. Yeah, you don't often see the PJ Tour over the DP World Tour very often, and unless you're uh, going to be diving into the uh, the YouTube, I don't suppose you'll be seeing live golf either. So um, interesting week all round, really. Um, let's summarise our selections, and then I'll go on to uh, Brad's selections in his absence as well. Um, so I'll go first of all for the Scandinavian invitation, which Jason Scribner at 35 to 1, uh, Justin Waters at 66 to 1, Tapio Paulkinen, similar price as well, and Dale Whitnell for me at 125 to 1. Uh, your selections there for me, please, Whitney? Uh, confident on Sebastian Soderberg, um, and then bits for Elvira and uh, Nikolai Van Watson's space. The whole Dillinghausen, yeah. And uh, Brad's gone for Alexander Pjord, Sebastian Soderberg, and Johannes Veerman. So more support for Soderberg there. And oh Can- dear. <laughs> Canadian Open, Corey Connors at 22 to 1 for me. Uh, Pat Perez at 100 to 1. Tyler Duncan at 125 to 1. And Brad Stenica at 200 to 1. And by the way that card is made up, that should probably tell you everything about Canadian Open this week. Uh, but Jason, your selection's there for me. Uh, I'm going to go with Larry over Burns. I don't think you can back both. Um, it's a bit of a problem, but Larry swings it for me. So Larry at twenty. <laughs> uh, Aaron Rye, Grayson Sieg, and Nate Lashley for bits. Something top, something top bloke called Aaron Rye. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> top I don't bloke know. called Nate would be a short market. You know, it depends on the price. It really depends on the prices. But top twenty, top thirty for all, all three of them. 
Yeah, I mean, Nate Lashley, I think we spoke about him a couple of weeks ago, and he's got that really strong run of form between the Puerto Rico and the Valero, where he had four mm-hmm. straight top 27s, didn't he? And then a couple of missed cuts, and then 11th and 17th again, and like, this should be a good yeah. course for him. I think. Well, like you say, like you say, it negates, negates any, it's all about second shot, second shot, and it's all about placing it. Yeah. So it negates any any real quality from off the tee, doesn't it? So, yeah. yeah. And I think someone pointed out on Twitter, that might have been John Hasselbauer, that said that the Rocket Mortgage could be an indicator. Well, they actually won the Rocket Mortgage. Yeah, so, right. um, you know, there's just there's benefits there. I think it's just one of those weeks. I think it's really, really hard. You never want to come in here and say, oh, I have no idea, but it feels like an I have no idea week. Um, very luckily, got out last week with a couple of places. Uh, I thought I was going to come in here and do an apology uh, before Schneider and, uh, and Neiman placed in each event. But, uh, yeah, interesting to see how it goes. I think, I think I'm just looking forward to the US Open now. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting this first week of live out of the way so we can pipe down on that for another couple of weeks until it starts up again. Um, and we'll come on to the US Open, which I think, Jason, we're going to record on Sunday this week. So we've been told. So, so you've been told you're going to be doing anyway. Um, yes, yeah, so looking to do a Sunday recording video open before I leave the country on Monday. So listen for out for that. For tax reasons. For tax reasons, yeah. I wish it's for tax reasons. That means I'm doing something right. Um, look forward to that. Looking forward to the major next week. And Jason, thank you as ever. Mm-hmm.